0: Hey my name is Jay Warner Wallace and I'm the author of Cold Case Christianity. I I gotta tell you, if you're listening to this radio, you know you're in a good place. And I cannot endorse more highly the intellect and the passion of your host. So just enjoy this radio program. Is he a real one radio? Is the real thing. And Veda, thank you so much for doing the most important work of the kingdom. Hey, this is Greg Kokel, author of Tactics a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions and the story of reality, how the world began, how it ends, and everything important that happens in between. And you're listening
1: to Is He a Real One? What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Vader, and I'm here with Is He a Real One Radio, and I'm here with champ, Vocab. What's happening, Vocab?
0: What's up, Vader?
1: All right. All right. So before we get started, Vocab, well, it's Vocab Malone to speak in complete sentences. You know, but before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why people should care about the eloquent answers that you say? Like, how do we know you ain't just making up stuff in an attempt to sound smart as you break down theology and doctrine and all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you read my book, I wasn't trying to sound very smart. I was trying to talk to uh, basically the average person in the pew. But nonetheless, um, you know, I got into apologetics, which is the art and science of defending and explaining the Christian faith in hopefully a relevant, compelling way. But I got into it out of a background of a music ministry primarily. And that sort of an odd uh, transition, some people might think. But I would use, um, m- you know, hip hop, rap, freestyle, those elements to go into communities. Uh, juvies, places like that With others, it was always a team effort You know, I like, I like having a squad All the time yeah. And you would do these things in different places Sometimes a college campus, sometimes a crazy Little block Sometimes a, a community rec center wh- Whatever it was And you know, if you're trying to say something in your music And people are going to talk to you About what you're saying afterwards You have conversations And that always results in objections To the Christian faith Unless everybody's just like, okay, I believe, I believe, I believe. And, hey, God is good. He definitely did set up people when we would go into places who were ready, heard, received, became believers, no, no doubt. But, um, you know, it's not, we're, not, we're not the Billy Grahams of apologetics or rap. Everywhere we go, you know, thousands of people. Hmm. So, you know, you work through these issues. So if you have any care concern for truth, meaning am I believing true things, you end up going back, checking the records, seeing what's what. And through that process, you learn a lot, especially if you go back, say, to a, to a block or a college campus like we were doing for quite a while, week after week. Yeah. That really has an effect. That kind of grind is a good thing, I think, when you're really banging it out, especially in the beginning stages of whatever you're trying to do. So, anyways, eventually that led me to buying more and more books Going online more and more, and eventually led me to, to Bible college, to, to seminary. I ended up with a master's degree. Uh, I ended up halfway through a doctoral program. Maybe one day I'll finish by God's degree, so I'm still kind of halfway through type of thing, uh, although15,000 dollars doesn't feel like halfway through. But <laughs> in all that. Um, a lot of stuff I was doing, um, some of it started getting traction so I've started focusing on that because I saw there was a need specifically in urban apologetics and specifically dealing with the cult of the Hebrew Israelites and so I've been um, doing apologetics really in a public serious kind of way um, at least since 2008 it depends how you want to categorize it because you could go back further and, and say well this and that but so sometimes you might hear different numbers but 2008 is when I first started a radio show. There was an Urban Apologetics radio show. That's why I give that as a, as a thing, you know, as far as a public thing. It's when I began an Urban Apologetics radio show. And now that's transitioning into live streams on YouTube. And so, the, um, you know, that's kind of where I am. And now I'm trying to link up with other people. And I'm trying to see um, what's going to happen in this movement in 2019. Because Urban Apologetics is newer in in, in one sense – not in other senses, I don't want to get into that, but I'm saying that so people don't think I think I invented urban apologetics or anything silly like that. I'm not even saying nothing like that. All I'm saying is there is some new stuff happening. I'm glad to be a small part of it. You know, here you are, Veda, you're part of it, we're both a part of it. So I'm just ready to see who the Lord's going to bring together because there's some good stuff happening in 2019. It's about time. A lot of these uh, alternative spirituality has been racking and ruining the church for a hot minute and basically getting a free pass without any opposition. Without any
1: opposition. And you, and you want to know what, and I know we're going to get into the doctrine of Hebrew Israel, Hebrew Israelism in a second, but you want to know something that I notice, you know, when I have interactions with not just Hebrew Israelites, but people who have some sort of objection um, to the Christian faith, there's always, unless they know who I am and they're familiar with my work already, like, there's always this assumption that I was just taught something and I, and I never asked a question, you know, like, like, you know, like when people are saying things, it's like, no, so you got to look deeper than what uh, King James told you. You got to look deeper than what such and such told you. And they're saying things. And I was, and I'm like, no, you don't even know, like I'm a former atheist, basically, bro. Like, you know, I asked a gazillion questions before I got even halfway where I am, you know, but it, but it's interesting that you say that though, because, because there's a presumption and sadly, rightfully, so, a presumption that, as a christian you we didn't examine things about our faith to figure out why we why we do some of the things that we do, why traditions are what they are, you know, why beliefs are what they are and, and
0: everything you know yeah, you know the refrain I know what you're talking about the refrain they tend to give, whether it's uh you know a newly minted atheist or agnostic or Hebrew Israelite or a or and the Wabi and whatever it is, the refrain they tend to give to the Christian is, do your research. Right. Do your research. And so if God grants, that's the second book I have coming out this year, if God grants, because I I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, it's definitely got, I've got the skeleton structure of the book so far and a little bit of the muscle in it. And so uh, that book is going to be called (laughs) Do Your Research. That's the title of the book. Because I'm going to do, I'm going to try that, by guys. it's a great show. You know, these dudes always be like, do your research, do your research. I'm going to try to show They ain't done their research. They
1: ain't done their research. Yes, yeah. That's awesome. And also, as we get started, just FYI, if my machine runs out of, uh, runs out of power, because it look like it, it may, I do have an, uh, alternate way for us to do this interview and i might just need like 32 seconds or whatever to regroup but we'll be good but yeah man i do want to get started i do want to get started on some of the hebrew is hebrew israelite things that are going on in our world in our country and things like that and i know that you've spent plenty of hours researching this so for those who are listening who who may be vaguely familiar or not very familiar with hebrew israelism what exactly is it, and why is it a concern, if, it, if any?
0: Well, you know, the history of it, regardless of what the members of the group tell you, is Reconstruction era. That's phase one. So right after the Civil War, a little bright spot in the American South where uh, there's freedoms that are at promise that are actually granted to a certain extent. Um, in that little era, that's a, that's a massive social uh, upheaval time of change, uh, 1896 or 1892, depending on what you look at. But around that time, let's just say the 1890s, is when we first have records of somebody saying, hey, these folks over here, they there were descendants of slaves who were supposed to be descendants of Africans. These are actually the true people related to, directly by blood, from the Bible of Israel We are the Hebrew Israelites And uh, you know there's the various names You know Crowdie's one of them but there's a couple other names You'll see in there And uh, uh, a guy named F.S. Cherry But these dudes came out and had Versions of that message The funny thing is you know there was something Way before that maybe even a hundred Actually more than a hundred years before that called British or Anglo-Israelism So when I say Hebrew Israelism sometimes people say Black Hebrew Israelism I tend not to use that But um Anglo-Israelism and British Israel Is the idea that if you're related uh, In some way to descendants of Europe You were part of the lost house of Israel And they actually had a lot of similar arguments Just for white people You know, hmm. Denmark <laughs> Denmark <laughs> shows evidence That the tribe of Dan went through northern Europe Because if you do a word study Denmark actually relates to the word Dan's mark Because the tribe wow. of Dan left their mark In northern <laughs> Europe He's- Bizarre stuff, but the thing wow. is, Hebrewsites have just as crazy arguments. Hebrewsites don't realize, you know, these Anglo-Britishes are like done; they done blazed the trail. But now you see these other folks saying it, and um, it didn't catch on not so much in the 1890s. A couple congregations and churches started. Then, right after World War One, was another time where it really popped off, and that's where you see Abba Vidin start doing a street preaching in Harlem, New York. And then another main time, the third phase. Is right there in the late 60s, and that's where we have the beginning of the school that I kind of focus on called One West. It comes out of One West, 125th Street, 1969, sort of the official start date of that school. So those are the three phases, and we're kind of right now, it appears, to be in the fourth phase, the fourth stage, however you want to phrase it, which this, I don't know what to call it yet. Some of us call it the BLM era, some of us call it the the era, because it's kind of all related to the beginning of YouTube. But a lot of it got accelerated with some of the current political, social, moral questions that are being asked and answered within the past, like, five years, kind of starting within Obama's presidency, but going, of course, right now into this era as well. You're seeing a massive skyrocket in the Hebrew Israelites' influence, not just among fringe people anymore, but creeping into churches, getting even now middle-class Americans involved, and um, new camps springing up everywhere. Forget social media. They're all over there as well. And it's just, cra- it's just crazy. So, the, And no one's really dealing with it. And this is the last thing I'll say. i give an example. If you survey the landscape of Christian apologists, you'll only find a few Christian apologists who have more than 150,000 subscribers on YouTube. David Wood of Act 17 Apologetics is an example. Jeff Durbin, Apology is another example. Robbie Zacharias, International Ministries. Uh, for the most part, that's it. William Craig's, nope. Uh, James White, nope, they're in the 40s and 50s. Yet, there's a Hebrews-like channel called The Watchman Reports. None of us know who, who who's The Watchman Reports. Well, it's a husband and wife team, hebrews Lights, and they just get on there and talk for hours at a time. They got a 150,000 subscribers. They did a little response video to me. Within a day, it had 10,000 views. My wow. point in saying that is that there's like this underground kind of social media alternative spirituality network that exists that's much more popular than a lot of our urban apologetic or even mainstream apologist social media game. And that matters because people don't go check out books as much anymore. They go Google a YouTube video. So this is real what I'm talking about. This is true.
1: You know, and you know, Hebrew Israelism really kind of hit my radar when I would have, when, when people would come to me, you know, with questions or whatnot about the faith and it may be other, really, it would be on social media. You know, if someone, you know, would come to me with a question um, about the faith. You know, they'll tag me in a post or they'll do something and they'll tag me and ask me a question and I'll answer it. And I would notice it would be different people who would answer questions. And I was like, and for a, for a split second, I was like, okay, this person sounds like, you know, they're a Christian for 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 a minute. But I was like, but it sounds like... You know, it's some theological issues there. And then when I would converse with them a, a bit more and start to unpack their beliefs, I'll start to notice, you know, uh other things that I find or, or things that I find troubling. I find things that it's like, OK, so it sounds like you believe in Scripture, but you don't believe in all the Scripture. So essentially, you know, the deity of Jesus, you know, is a no go uh, for the most part. You know, I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, if it's different camps who who do say that jesus is There's god one
0: ministry that i know of that's an exception and i just i literally just found out about them about two weeks ago so literally basically the hebrew israelites christology almost matches jehovah's witness christology
1: yeah that's what it sounds like yeah yeah, yeah that, that's what it sounds like you know and of course you know it it get they give the impression or they have the understanding that black people like they would say that i am a hebrew israelite you know and and I should be, you know, part of their, you know, their
0: culture. You need to recognize your true heritage. You're not descended from an ordinary, average, plain African. And now, I, that's not me saying that. That's what they right. say. Because right. When I'll debate them, and they feel a little frustrated, this sometimes happens. Sometimes it's even recorded, so you can hear some debates where it's like this. The guy will say, wait a minute, Vocab, are you trying to tell me I'm just a descendant of an ordinary, everyday, old, plain African? And, you know, I'll, I'll say, what is wrong with that? Like, there's a weird anti-African uh, bias in a lot of Hebrew Israelism, believe it or not.
1: So, I mean, like, let's get into the doctrine a little bit. So, where exactly do they get that? Do they get that from? Is that all? Deuteronomy 28. I know my understanding of it is that that may be the you know the go-to verse as far as what's su- what's supporting them. I, I get people in my DMs and on my Instagram all the time saying you know, go to Deuteronomy 28, you know, you're not called black, you're called an Israelite. So what are they referring to, you know, when they're saying this?
0: Yeah, so what they'll do is, I'm looking for one other verse I might bring up later, but uh, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, let's, um, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Now, what is Deuteronomy 28? So first of all, what is Deuteronomy? So Deuteronomy is part of the first five books of moses called the torah or the pentateuch and within those five books deuteronomy there is, is a second law sort of reiterating things uh, before moses transitions and passes leadership to joshua and before that generation of israelites goes into the promised land and so part of the book is a classic ancient near eastern treaty formula which you have the higher making the contract stipulations obligations requirements as well as punishments, uh, to the lesser. So the higher is Yahweh, the lesser is to his people. What I mean by that is the king and then his his sort of subjects, in essence. That's a common thing that would happen among nations who have conquered other nations. Yahweh does this with Israel in Deuteronomy 28. In the beginning, it's a shorter section, ironically, if you notice, almost like maybe God knew they would fail. What happens is he says, here's the blessings you'll have if you do this law, uh, here's what will happen. And uh, it's these good things. Now, if you go online and Google Deuteronomy 28 and you skip all the Hebrew Israelite videos, guess what you're going to find, people? What you're going to find is a bunch of prosperity preachers saying, oh, Deuteronomy 28, we can inherit these blessings financially for ourselves. That's the way it's misused. So it's problematic mm. because um, it doesn't really teach anyone the real meaning of Deuteronomy 20, first of all. And that wow. passage is not about we can Get wealth in the modern era if we keep the old testament law or something like that they, they misuse the whole passage but really what they focus on is the second part which is the curses where yahweh says but if you fail to do the words of this book then you're gonna have sickness and People are going to rape your wives and take your land, and you're going to you're gonna end up eating your own children, cannibalization. They're going to take your king captive along with you. The king won't even be safe from the siege that is going to happen. The walls of your cities are going to get destroyed, and you'll be vanquished and deported to other lands. And it's obvious to most people who have some idea of biblical history. What happened in Israel's history is basically a fulfillment of everything that God said would happen to them in Deuteronomy 28. You don't have to jump to the transatlantic slave trade, or even before that, the the sort of more Arab-based slave trade prior to that. You don't have to jump to that to find fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. It happens right in the pages of the Old and New Testament. It's right there, even if it's not always spelled out, meaning God constantly was bringing these punishments upon Israel for her unfaithfulness. Well, what they do is they read these things out, and then they'll say – who does this sound like? And they'll, they'll say, who had yokes of iron upon their neck? Google right now. And I'm not joking. They'll say this. Google right now, yokes of iron, and find out who will be the first pictures that pop up on your Google images, the images of black people. And it's like, they actually use that as an argument. Like, the first thing you find on Google is these. So it's evidence of the fulfillment that this is us, you know. And then um, they'll go down these curses. The big one is verse 68, which you mentioned which uh, says you'll be transported in Egypt in ships and sold as slaves. And so they use that as a way to say this is actually fulfilled in the transatlantic slave trade. So that's the key one. But they have other ones as well. Uh, For example, Jeremiah 17.4, which is much shorter, but it just says, You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For my anger of fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Now, that's the ESV. They were like the KJV better because uh, in the KJV, they try to interpret it as you'll know, loosen your heritage. And in the sense of you'll forget ethnically who you are, which if you read Jeremiah 17, in context, it's clear. What Yahweh is saying is saying your heritage, a big part of it is the, is the land promise that I have for you. And it's saying you will not have your land anymore. That's all Jeremiah 17 is for. It has nothing to do with forgetting your ethnic identity. In fact, I ask you Israelites when they go to Deuteronomy 28, I say, okay, now let me ask you, do you think one of the biggest curses that could befall the people is to forget their ethnic identity, who they are totally, and think they're another people group? Isn't that a bad thing? Yeah, that's a bad thing. That's exactly what happened to us. I say, okay, can you please show me in Deuteronomy 28 where that curse is promised that it'll happen to Israel? Hmm. This curse that you'll forget your Israelites and think you're Africans. Where is that in Deuteronomy 28? It's not even in the passage that you're using. Meaning, the very idea that Israelites will forget who they actually are is not even a biblical concept. There's no concept in there that they will no longer know they're Israelites. That's, now, not, that's not even a biblical idea.
1: Now, in refuting the 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 claims that they make in Deuteronomy 28. Isn't there something about being in Egypt? You know, I, I heard you say this before. Can can you ex, can you explain that to us? How, you know, it would have to imply that that the if if the Israelites if we are and I'm saying we meaning me, right? <laughs> you know, you know, if me and my people are the actual Israelites, wouldn't it mean that we would have had to have been in America already before they brought us there?
0: Well, yeah, because here's what it says. And the Lord will bring you back in Egypt to ship. Where are you reading now, that? Where are you reading that? Read! I'm 26.8. So here's the question. Can you go back to a place you've never been before? Because have the Israelites ever been to America? Because it says the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. Yeah. So how can you go back to America if you've never been there? Now, here's what they say, just so you know. Well, Egypt is just – another word for Egypt is actually house of bondage so house of bondage just means slavery. So when it says Egypt there, it really means slavery. So it's not saying you're going to go back to America. It's saying you're going to go back into slavery like you were in Egypt. Hmm. That's, that's, what they do. that's what they do with that. But so, here's, here's my response back. I'll say, okay, let's uh, stop and uh, let's take account of all the times the word Egypt appears in Deuteronomy 28. And uh, there's two other times – as far as the word Egypt, I believe I believe that's the third time, if I'm not mistaken. And every time it mentions Egypt, like yeah, it's literal, yeah, it actually means Egypt, like the boils of Egypt, for example, and and uh, house of bondage, um, that idea that it can mean slavery anywhere, it's definitely a stretch. And so that's what they try to do, but that's where they go. And the Lord will bring you back and ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise that you should never make again and again. If it's a journey they shouldn't make again, that means they made their journey before. Before. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. Now, that's the ESV again. They like the KJV rendering better, although it's a little bit problematic in the way that translators render the grammar. But the point there is, offer yourselves for sale? Well, they weren't offering themselves for sale. right? That's not what was going on. It was kidnapping. They were kidnapped. Right, right. uh, or, Or other things like, you know, conquered enemies, all these kinds of things, right? All that stuff's going on. Well, uh, no one's offering themselves for sale, these male and evil mm-hmm. slaves. And then the last thing says, but there will be no buyer. Well, if there was no buyer, then uh, why were those slave markets in North Carolina and in the Carolinas so full? There was lots of buyers. They wanted more people in the conference because they liked free labor because they were greedy. So what, what? They say, well, that word buy can actually mean redeem and so it's saying there's no redeemer. What it means is there will be no one there to save you. Now, you notice within this passage, they literally are skipping around between like a very metaphorical and a very literal use. So the ships are Egypt. or I'm sorry, the ships are literal. You've got to go in actual ships for the upon this Hebrew's understanding. But Egypt is not literal. The slavery is literal, but the buyer is not literal. It's a mm. it's kind of metaphorical spiritual redemption or freedom from oppression. You see what I'm saying? And, um it's a, that's the kind of games they play. And then if you say, well, that's not right. Context, you know, then they'll go to Isaiah and they'll say, well, precept upon precept, line upon line. And that's also a misuse as well. Or if they perceive you not to be an Israelite, then what they do, is is they'll say, well, this book wasn't even given for you to interpret. You
1: shouldn't even be talking like you shouldn't even
0: be. (laughs) So you can't say nothing anyway, unless you're an Israelite. And if you are an Israelite like me, you're in a lost state of mind right now, so you, you need to be taught you can't understand the book anyway.
1: Now, why would, to your understanding, why would they say precept upon precept, line upon line, if the original scriptures wasn't written, like, as far as, you know, the verses, how the verses are separated, how we have them now? Like, it's easy for me and you to look in our Bibles to find various scriptures, but that's not how they were originally Written that wasn't added until Thousands and thousands of years later so we'll
0: they, might, they, would, they might just say Well there's still lines you know Even in still lines there Even if it's not a verse and uh, They would say precept is either a concept Or a command and <clears throat> they would say Those are there before the verses that are there But nonetheless notice that that um, Thing in Isaiah 28 10 that they Quote to say how you must interpret the Bible Notice first of all It's in Isaiah that means for thousands of years prior, Israel didn't know about this interpretive method they were supposed to be using, mm. number one, if that's correct. But the thing is, right. that's actually not correct. If you read right. Isaiah and actually what's going on in it, it's actually the Israelites of Isaiah's day were mocking the prophets, and they were they had all this criticism for the prophets. And you can read it. It's right there in the passage. If you just go through and read Isaiah 20, you'll see, oh, they're mocking the prophets. And part of what they say, their critique is... You guys are just giving us little baby commands and you're kind of like saying, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't that, do that. You give us line upon line, precept upon precept, building blocks, ABCs. That's actually what they're saying. And they're mocking the the prophetic instruction of the Lord. Meaning this is, this is unfaithful Israelites mocking God's instruction to, to, to them. This is not an interpretive schema. If you read it in context, these are people who are mocking. And if you look in the Hebrew, the funny thing is the way the words sound when you verbally pronounce them. It almost sounds like ba 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 ba. That's not literally what it is, but uh, in the in the actual Hebrew, when you say it, the line upon line, priest there a little, here little, it sounds like baby talk, which was the phonetic point the Israelites were trying to make as they mocked Isaiah. So it's not even interpretive schema in the first place. It's bizarre. But of course, you know, you can also say, okay if you believe you have to have a precept uh, before you go into a verse for something, let's apply that to Deuteronomy 28. Mm. So show me one passage in the Bible that gives any clue to anybody in the Bible, any clue at all that shows or tells us that Deuteronomy 28 is supposed to be used as a detection toolkit for when the Israelites forget their ethnic identity. Meaning if that's the way you're going to use it, if, if your question after you read those passages in Deuteronomy 28 is, who on earth fulfills the curses? It's the so-called black people of the Western Hemisphere. If that's the way you're going to question answer, that means you're saying this is part of the way this is meant to be used. Well, show me one place in the Bible where Deuteronomy 28 is supposed to be used as a way to detect lost Israelites when they forgot their national heritage. You can't find it that's not what it's supposed to be used for. That's not what now, it's about.
1: Now, I have, I have plenty of questions that, that I want to get to, but something just popped in my mind. Do they ever deal with the fact that, you know, like when I look at uh, Jewish, Jewish history, rabbis of old, rabbis of current times, their theology and interpretations of various scriptures in the Hebrew text or the Old Testament seems so different from theirs, from Hebrew Israelism. So why is that? Or am I misunderstanding something?
0: Well, that's tricky because it depends what you mean. Now, if you mean what's actually in the Bible, for example, um, yeah, that's pretty much true. But if you start to go outside of Scripture, what happens is um, you find all kinds of opinions By all kinds of rabbis from all kinds of schools of thought within um, different sources, such as the Talmudic literature and the Mishnah, and uh, even going further down all the way into modern rabbis and on and on and on. Now, if you do that, first of all, you get a lot of competing views and competing ideas about things. Mm -hmm. But now the thing is, the Hebrewites don't even do what I'm talking about, but you can find extremely you can find extremely ethnocentric basically kind of racist views within religious jews views in regards to gentiles and if you look at the first century attitudes toward gentiles that appear in the bible mm-hmm. you can see it yeah absolutely you can actually absolutely. like this idea of dogs and bait right. and all this kind of thing it pops up actually a lot and jesus interacts with that and messes with that like when he gives a parable of the good samaritan He's purposely contravening the racist ideas that were improperly had been improperly uh, inculcated within first century Judaism at that point. So you can find some of these ideas even among some ancient rabbis about Gentiles being slaves, which is what Hebrews lights believe. Non Hebrews lights will be in the kingdom. They believe they'll be slaves, right? You can find some of these weird ideas, but basically, it's a whole other religion. And uh, when modern day Jews look at what the Hebrews lights are doing by and large, unless it's the Tanakh only guys, they recognize modern day Jews when they look at this, and this is non-believing Jews, they recognize this is some kind of weird hybrid of Judaism, black nationalism, and Christianity, and some other stuff. This is not, you know, now the Hebrews lights would mark that off as some conspiracy, this or that, but that's kind of what's going on there. But here's the thing. They literally reinvent history as they see it. For example, most of these guys think King James was a black man. Most of these guys believe that um, uh, Europe was ruled by a black aristocratic class for a thousand years, and that's why it was called the Dark Ages. I kid you not. That is what a lot of these
1: a lot of these guys.
0: Sorry, well, not even joking. A lot of these guys believe things like um, um, uh, that. It's just – well, you just put it on the list. Some of these guys, some of the more militant sects even believe, like Cornelius, who is clearly portrayed as a Gentile in Acts chapter 10, they believe that he was actually an Israelite in a Gentile state of mind. So, you know, they're willing to to do anything with history or the biblical text to suit their ideology. So, you know, you're saying that, but to them that's, like, relevant. They basically have their own history books. Now, they're not real history, but they're they're most – their kind of go-to is called "From Babylon to Timbuktu," and it covers a whole variety of subjects. And uh, the author Ralph Windsor was an expert in none of these subjects, but he made these outlandish proclamations on them. And Hebrewsites basically follow that version of history. Now, there's all kinds of gaps and holes within it, but they follow that and they kind of piggyback up. So they have their own version of history of Judaism. For example, a lot of them believe that Romans are actually Edomites. But if you study the Edomite Empire, they were a Middle Eastern people, the Senate of Esau, who actually seemed to look somewhat like the Middle Eastern Jews, it seemed to be subsumed into the Jewish Empire and, and into the Arab peoples and ceased to exist as a distinct people group. But these Hebrew Israelites teach that the Roman Empire was actually ran by Edomites, and the modern-day white people were actually Edomites, which is bizarre. But a lot of the groups teach stuff like that. So history and all that, they they think that's all – uh, conspiracy
1: you know what it's funny that you answer that way because i was told once i i don't remember what the exact conversation the topic was with the Hebrew Israelite that i was conversing with but i said something um that i know to be historically true that i understand to be just a well-known fact and it was like see that's because it's the white man's books and then they you know, they distort history and they've been teaching you that but that's not really the truth and i was like okay well how did you find out the actual truth that I've research. been out. like about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's actually what he said. Do your research. And I was and here, like... and
0: what's funny about that, Veda. These guys, they make a positive claim about evidence, right? Uh-huh. They'll say X, Y, Z is true. And then you'll say, well, how do you know that X, Y, Z is true? What's your evidence for it? Then they'll say, you research it. Right. That's not how <laughs> argumentation works. Argumentation right. works if you put forward a positive claim that is contested between the parties and is not accepted by the party. If you put forth the claim, then you give the evidence for the proposition. They put forth the proposition and then tell you, go research the proposition without actually giving the evidence for it. It's bizarre.
1: You know what trips me out about that vocab? When I make a claim, well, like you mentioned um, a couple of my videos that's on the channel. If someone presses me about why I think what I think, that makes me happy. Like I would, I would be more than happy. I'm, I love when someone says, why do you think that I'm going to say, well, I'm so glad you asked, you, you know, like, I, like I love if someone is trying to pull more information, particularly about a claim that I'm making, you know, because I love sharing that information. I love sharing the resources. And I'm thinking as a truth seeker, you know, I, I'm thinking that's one of the funnest parts about sharing the truth. Or, you know, maybe I'm tripping.
0: No, nah, nah, you're right. But um, here's what it is when you deal, by and large, with Hebrew Israelism. Now, let me make a caveat. There are, quote, more moderate Hebrew Israelites. And a lot of the moderate Hebrew Israelites, if they watch this video, they become upset with me and say, you're lumping us all together. That's what they'll say. But I've tried to be careful, and, and this is very introductory. But not only that, but if you listen to even the moderate Hebrewsites discussing Christianity, they're never careful about any of the distinctions between Christians. Uh, So, you know, I wish they would do what they say needs to be done, but I do try to do that. But if you deal with the Hebrewsites, by and large, the responses at a certain point in time basically devolve into racism. So for me... They'll say, "Well, who's your father, anyway? What's your lineage?" <clears throat> all right, looks like we're uh, looks like we're disconnected. So we'll wait till you come back. Because for some reason, I'm the host now.
1: Nah, all right. so so I got disconnected where you were you were elaborated on the history thing after I stated how you know I love when people ask me to um, to explain. Why I believe what I believe, or where did I get some information from, you know, and how that's one of that's my favorite part of the conversation. Which, by the way, that almost never happens. By the way, people don't ask me why. <laughs> people don't ask me where I got that from. Although I offer that information because it adds validity to it. But your response to that was what? Because that's the part where I got disconnected. Kind of
0: well, hold up. Let me uh, give a drink of water. So, if you um, attack or disagree with or challenge the ideas found within Hebrew Israelism, what they do is, um, at a certain point in the conversation, often, not every Hebrew Israelite, but frequently, basically resort to racism. So, if you're not perceived... To be a Hebrew Israelite, it's you don't belong. Uh, even interpreting the Bible in the first place because of your ethnicity, you know they phrase it in different ways. For example, uh, they'll come on my channel and say, uh, "Oh, look here's," <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even repeat some of the stuff they say, but you can just see all the comments out there that they say in regards to to ethnicity. Now, some people might be like, "Oh yeah, but um, you know uh." You know, I'm black, I'm Hispanic, I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, plus I'm woke. So, like, I kind of yeah. get these things and they'll kind of get it. No, nah, no, 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 not, not really. Uh, the second you start engaging them, uh, a lot of them just resort to, like, well, that's because you're whitewashed and your mentality, too. So if you're Mexican and you start attacking them ideologically, you become a Mexicoon. If you're a Puerto Rican, you're a Puerto Rican. If you're black, you're just a coon. Uh, I'm not joking. This is, like, what they do. Like, um, I never heard the word coon being employed so much since, you know, I, like, watched Roots or something. But these dudes love that word. Oh, my goodness. And uh, that's not the only word they'll use. You know, they'll got all kinds of things. So if they see this video and you get on their radar and they do a comment on it, it'll be something like this. Well, here's the slave master, Vocab Malone. Another one of his house house knockers on the plantation who just loves massa. Look at him leaking up that knowledge and wisdom like this guy's so smart. See, this is what happens when our people been in those churches too long. And that's why you need to come out of those churches, man. But I tell you what, it's hard to get our people out of those churches. You know why, Deacon? Why is that, Elder? Man, cause Christianity is a hell of a drug. And uh and uh, that's that's like the kind of like that is the common that is a common kind of discourse upon a commentary they give. And uh, I'm not saying every single one, but sometimes they'll phrase it nicer. Sometimes they actually phrase it a lot worse. But that is a pretty common, the criticism back at you eventually devolves into that a lot of times. So uh, you just got to be prepared for that. I mean, imagine disagreeing with someone on a biblical passage's interpretation and equating that with a racial slur. Meaning I had a video where I hosted where Eric Mason um, was interpreting Deuteronomy 28, and I put it on my channel. And just because his interpretation was different, the racial slurs against Pastor Eric Mason were long and thick on the comment section. Because that's, that's how they respond, like, a lot of times. I'm not saying only, but it's – that. what a weird concept. Like, well, you, you have this other scriptural view. Therefore, you are a – you know, insert whatever the racial slur is – But a lot of the guys respond that way, uh, especially the more, you know, militant camp types. But it's all over online as well. So just be prepared for that if you're going to deal with this group in an extended basis.
1: Now, can you help us understand the Esau and Edomite theology and teaching and understanding that they have there?
0: Well, it's funny. If you think about Hebersalites saying that they're – Israelites. That means they would be descended from Jacob, upon their understanding. All right, mm-hmm. and if you look at Jacob, I mean, what does Jacob do? Right, he steals the birthright from his brother. He's kind of homebody, you know, this and that. But let me tell you how bad this Isaac Jesus gets. You know how Esau was shown to be hairy, apparently, and Jacob had smooth, smooth skin. You can go all the way back to the commandment keepers congregation in Harlem, in Harlem, Hebrew- in Harlem uh, New York. All the way back to the commandment keepers. If someone doesn't know what I'm talking about, just Google the commandment keepers. And that, th- their congregation goes way back. Now, they're a Tanakh-only sect. They've almost disappeared, pretty much. All the way back to their literature in the 20s and 30s. And it'll say, Jacob's skin was smooth, and this is a quote from one of their pamphlets, as the black man's skin invariably is saying the average black man has smooth skin, Jacob had smooth skin, whereas Esau was hairy. And then what they do to prove that Esau is the progenitor, I think that's the right word, but the ancestor of modern-day whites or whatever, they love to show pictures online of hairy white people. So, you know, like if you watch this old video, Mike Tyson's only 19 and he knocks out this really big dude named Sammy, uh, Sammy the Scab or something like that. He's a big, giant, hairy white guy, right? And Mike Tyson, you know, just a young fighter knocks him out. It's like a kind of well-known YouTube video. Uh, that's a perfect picture for them because this dude was, like, known as a mountain man, and he had this hairy back and all that, right? They love to show pictures of that. But, like, look, see, Esau's hairy. Because, you know, in Genesis, when you read it, um, there's a little description of the twins when they when they came out about them being uh, hairy, right? Well, Esau specifically. And it says he, he was hairy, red like a garment. So they'll say, oh, look, Esau was red. Mm. And they love to show pictures of sunburnt white people. And they'll say, look at these, these people. They're not really white people. They're, they're red. So a lot of times when they call white people, they'll say the so-called white man, because they'll say he's not really white, he's red. And they'll show pictures, like I said, of sunburnt white people to do it. Now, that's just bizarre. But here's the real rub. Here's really why they do it now they don't say this but here's the real rub a lot of christians don't realize that the edomites who are biblically speaking now i'm talking in real terms not hebrews like mythological world are the descendants of esau in the bible the edomites are one of the descendants of esau as far as people group a lot of christians don't realize that they're one of the primary enemies of israel in the new in the old testament i'm sorry because we think about the egyptians maybe Or maybe the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And that's all true enough. And that's just because all those three groups I just mentioned, they had world empires. So it wasn't necessarily specific Israel enemies per se. Although maybe you could say something different with Egypt. But remember, there's times later on in Israel's history where Israel and Egypt were allies. And in fact, Yahweh had to tell the Israelites, don't rely on Egypt as an ally they're like an old stick, and if you lean on them, it's going to break. Because at one point, they became allies, and they were relying upon the Egyptians. So they weren't like lifelong enemies forever, whatever, whatever. Although the Egyptians did, did come through, they did fail the Israelites, as Yahweh said. But the Edomites never had a massive empire like those three groups I mentioned in the ancient Near East. So what's the deal with Edomites? There's a whole book kind of dedicated to an oracle against them, Obadiah. You read it, and it focuses on the destruction of Edom. By the way, which I believe is essentially fulfilled. Now, Hebrew Israelites think it's got to happen in America. When was Obadiah 18 fulfilled? You know, 118. Uh, Well, when the Edomite empire essentially disappeared and they're no longer a distinct people group. What Here's what they do. Since Edom was a decidedly um, stark foe of the ancient Israelites, and I'll give you one example. One time when Israel was being conquered, Edom laughed and scoffed at Israel's plight, and in fact, according to what we understand, joined in, like, by capturing fleeing Israelites and stuff like that. So, even though they were actually descendants from the same brotherly line, Jacob and Esau. And so, there was a special um, judgment a lot of times given to them because of this kind of behavior, right? Well, the Israelites, the so-called Hebrewsites, love that. Because then they can make white people the primary enemy of them because they think they're Hebrew Israelites. So what's one of the primary enemies of the ancient Israelites in the Bible that's sort of a lesser-known group that you could kind of put anyone in there? Because it'd be hard to say white people are descendants of ancient Egyptians because you got to have them being black. It'd be weird to say they're descendants of ancient Assyrians because Assyrians are still here as Assyrians. It'd be hard to say they're Babylonians, right? You see – but Edomites, you can just say, oh, what's Edomites? And most people don't even know what that is. So they'll say that's who the white man really is. They're Edomites. And so when they say to a white person, Edomite, that's like a, that's like a racial slur in their world. And then they, what wow. they do is it's like, a, it's like an exegetical um, goldmine for Hebrew-Israelite theology because – now, it's not really exegetical. It's what they can do is go through all the places in the Bible where Esau or Edom is mentioned in negative light, and then they apply it to white people or America, but they have not properly dealt with Deuteronomy 23. Now, here's what's up with me. I don't grant them the ridiculous proposition that white people are Edomites. It's insane, historically, linguistically, ethnically, genealogically, every kind of way you can imagine, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. The real Edomites have been subsumed into the Jewish empire, and history shows this, into various Arab peoples, and as well as been dispersed when they got conquered themselves through various times. As a distinct people group, the Edomites don't exist anymore. As a distinct people group. That doesn't mean there's no Edomite blood in the human gene pool. Certainly there is. But who are the Edomites? No one knows. But I could say who are the modern-day Assyrians? And there is a group of people that are descended from the ancient Assyrians who still go by that name, etc., etc. etc. Doesn't mean they're identical in every way, but nonetheless, there's modern-day Assyrians. Now, what does Deuteronomy 23 say though? If we were going to say, okay, I don't believe that you're correct, but I'll temporarily grant your proposition. What do you do with Deuteronomy 23, 7, which says, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother? <laughs> That's literally what it says. It arises that you shall not have an Horah and Egyptian, you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them, that means Edomites and Egyptians, in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. What does that mean? That means there's a stipulation of time where they can't enter into the assembly of the Lord temporarily, which means that they could not become part of the Commonwealth of Israel until the third generation, but then after that they could. Because there, was a, there was a, this, was, this, this restriction had, a, had an expiration date. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. Mm. So notice, Yahweh says the Edomites are brother, and they can join the assembly of Israel. What in the world do these guys do with that? Now, they don't have good explanations. They'll give them, and they'll try to say, well, that was temporary, or all this kind of crazy stuff. But if they're going to say people were Edomites— they still have not, never properly dealt with Deuteron 23-7 in its fullness. And here's the other thing. How bizarre is it to think that <laughs> there's twins? Jacob and Esau were twins, everybody. And one was black and one was white in essence. And the funny thing is, if you go on Hebrews-like social media, they love to show news stories about twins who were born to um, couples where one was decidedly darker or lighter than the other, and they're like, "Here's proof that it can happen." Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking, but I mean, think about it. Uh, you got one guy who comes out, you know, looking like Floyd Mayweather, and the other guy comes out looking like Conor McGregor. Really? Like, we, we gonna believe that that that's what went down? <laughs> like, that is what the Hebrews uh, in essence do teach, as far as the ones who embrace the Esau doctrine meaning not every light you meet will embrace the Esau doctrine. So if you say, I know what you believe. I saw an interview with Vocab and Beta, and uh, you believe that white people are Edomites. If they say, no, I don't, say, okay, right? Because not all of them believe white people are, and that's the confusion of Hebrew Israelism. But do a lot of Hebrewsites believe that? Yes. The rest of them usually believe that white people are the descendants of Japheth, which is actually what, a lot of people that get into this sort of stuff believe anyway, so that's not sort of a weird, bizarre position or whatever. But um, that's where the, that's the Edomite thing. That's where that comes in. And their favorite passage then goes to Romans. Jacob I have loved, Esau, oh, yeah. Esau I have hated. Right, right. And, and that's where they'll go, see, God is a racist. So if God's a racist, how am I not going to be a racist? <laughs> no joke, man. That's what these guys do in the street. Yeah,
1: great. All right. So now, now have you I, – I, I got a couple more questions. I don't want to keep you all night. But, but have you heard any response to the Deuteronomy 23 verses that you just read? They just say it was temporary,
0: and that was before Esau, Edomites, had done a bunch of other bad stuff later on. So there was new prohibitions and restrictions against them.
1: And those new prohibitions were explained where in scripture? I'm just wondering.
0: Um, I think that's where they just go to, the, like you know, Jacob I have loved, you saw it, hated type of thing. Um, I don't know. I've never heard a very good. I've never heard a good defense of it, so I don't. I don't know further what they do uh, much further with that. But they just they you know gloss over it. But I mean, if you again, this is the problem deal with Hebrew Israelites. Who knows about the Edomites, right? Like you got to go study the Edomites, and it's not that easy. Like we don't really nearly know everything about them as much. Like there is some speculation involved in tracking down an ancient people group and figuring out different things. Like it's not exactly easy to do, and yet they make these claims. Here's what's so funny, yo: <laughs> the Anglo-Israelites also used Edom as a slur for Peoples that they hated, these British Israelites who came before. And not only that, um, the, um, a lot of the books that they use to justify some of these weird positions are written by old, older white scholars. And so, you know, not related to the Esau question or the Edomite question, but a cr- perfect example is uh, the, two, the Two Babylons by uh, Alexander Hissop or however you say his name. You know, they always point to that book. Well, that's a white guy, you know. And so we always, uh, I'll, I kind of joke and I'll say, hey, Hebrew Israelites say, do not trust white authors. Do not trust white history. Do not trust white scholars. Do not trust white sources. And then when you ask them about their claims, they say, read the two Babylon's <laughs> I want a book written by a white guy. Like that's, that's, that is frequent. Well, he, he knew the truth, there's truth in the, you know, but that's a common thing you run into with these guys. Now I, I want to
1: ask you. I want to ask you a couple more questions before I let you go. Now I'm gonna read something from Isaiah 49, uh, verse 23 that they commonly read, Now I want to know what, to your understanding, what they believe that saying and also with the correct interpretation isaiah 49 23 this is about the licking the dust of my feet thing you know where they're you know when they're preaching it like i saw some videos of them online you know and and when they found some you know some white people who were willing to bow down you know and kiss their feet you know this is the scripture where they were reading this is isaiah 49 verse 23 it says kings will be foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers, they will bow down to you with their faces to the ground and lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who put their hope in me will not be put to shame. You know, and I've seen them, I've seen them read this as they had people who were willing to actually kiss their shoes, like Mm -hmm. the bottom of their shoes and Or they'll use that to ask them to bow down or something
0: Yeah, so they use that To justify the practice of what we call bootlicking And um, I've been trying to get Hebrews like to debate this for uh, about a year now Uh, This topic Is the practice of bootlicking biblical? So far I can't get any, any of them to do it But if you look here and you read the passage, if they're going to say that this means that other nations need to lick their boots right now, let's find out what else the other nations supposedly should be doing. Okay. Uh, Isaiah forty nine twenty two. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I lift up my hand to the nations raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom. So that means the other nation hmm. will be having your sons in their bo- bosom. That, that, that makes it sound like white ladies should be uh, breastfeeding your children. That's what it hmm. like. Or at least being very close to them, maybe being their nannies. And your daughter shall be carried on their shoulders. So that sounds like. Um, you should also ask um, white people to, if you're, if you're viewing this as white people, which they commonly do, to carry your children around. Kings shall be your foster fathers. That means you should go to Donald Trump, I guess, and see if you can become uh, maybe an adoptive member of the family, or maybe you should have him as your foster father then. He should take care of you, right? And they're queens, your nursing mothers. So again, I guess uh, maybe, maybe the queen of England. Uh, when she was a younger woman, <laughs> she wouldn't have been the queen then. But you get the point. She should have been um, um, using her breast to to nurse uh, Israelite Israelite children, according to that. When their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. So the funny thing is, it doesn't actually even say lick your boots. It says lick the dust of your feet. So I don't know. I, I guess they they interpret that as licking the dust off of your boot which by the way i gotta be honest just seems super homoerotic to me to have a grown man lick my foot you know what i'm saying i don't these dudes i don't know how to justify it then you will know that i am the lord those who wait for me shall not be put to shame now what's really going on here well if you go down to verse 26 i will make your oppressors eat their own flesh they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Well, what is the consummation of Israel? Who is this deliverer? Well, it's Jesus. I mean, you can look at the beginning of Matthew, the beginning of Luke, Luke, and you see that ultimately the person who is the deliverer of Israel, in fact, that's what his name basically means, right? Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation or deliverance, for he will save his people from, his, from their sins. You look, it's Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do, right? If I be drawn up, John 12, 32, I will, I will if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Well, I don't think that can mean all men literally. This is how I interpret it. Maybe people have different views because it doesn't seem like the cross made everyone attracted to Jesus, everyone in the whole world, right? But it seems to me, to me, to me, all kinds of men. Because right before that, if you read John 12, what was the event that happened right before Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Some Greeks came to see him. All you got to do is read it. It's right there in the passage. Read John 12, to anyone listen to this, and find out what is the event that preceded Jesus saying, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It was Greeks came to see Jesus. That's the preceding event. Meaning Gentiles came to see him. Then Jesus, in response, partially says, If I be lifted up, which is a way that he would describe crucifixion, I will draw all men unto me. Now, that's not all we have. Of course, we have Matthew, the end where Jesus says, go into all the nations, teach them to do what I commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So clearly, that includes Gentiles and Gentile nations. Not only that, Jesus did away with a lot of the traditional lines that you would look at. Who was sort of in and out when he said things like, who is my brother and sister? Because Jesus didn't have to say like this. If you think about it, no one said, hey, Jesus, who's your brother and sister? Who's your father and mother? No one asked him that. They said, hey, Jesus, your family is out here waiting for you. Come outside, talk to them, right? This is the account in the Gospels. Jesus says, who's my brother and my sister? Who's my father and mother? Those who do the will of the Lord. Jesus No one asked him that. He said, now it's time for me to teach this, meaning he's redefining familial relationships as well, right? You You see what's going on there? And we see that happening further in the pages of the New Testament as the cross is sort of explained and lived out. Here's the point. Jesus is the Savior of Israel. The other nations is the way that the Israelites would see this, but really, in the New Testament, it's a way to describe the wicked who stand against Christ because christ is the new israel so who is the perfect or the true israel well if you read isaiah 53 you'll see there's a suffering servant there right he'd be israel literally because he's atoning for the sins of israel right. But you know, right if you read the way he's described he's called the branch or the shoot or the shrub and he's also called the servant so it's the idea of there's going to be this little branch or shoot or shrub taking off of israel and from that, we'll become a new people. Kind of like what Yahweh originally said he was going to do all the way back when he said to Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm going to kill them all and start over with you, Moses. Moses interceded, right? But that's, in a way, what happens with the Messiah. Meaning, the branch or the shoot or the shrub comes off. And then from that begins a new Israel. So the point is... This is ultimately fulfilled on the person of Christ and in Christ's enemies bowing down to him, ultimately. So the idea is the ultimate servant of the Lord, the new Israel, now has Israel's enemies, who are the enemies of Christ, bow down to him. The ultimate new Israel, the true blue Israel, the actual real Israel, the faithful Israel, yeah. now has that happen. Or the servant of Yahweh has others serve him, and that's not, you know uh, a non-existent motif because if you go to the new testament the authors often open up their epistles saying a servant of jesus christ and remember i mentioned the idea of like ultimately this means bowing knee to jesus because we i believe should interpret the bible the bible christologically because i see that's how the new testament writers did it themselves what do we have going on we have a passage that actually is in isaiah where it says in Isaiah about Yahweh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess yeah. that I am God is basically yeah, what's saying. God. And it's referring there to Yahweh. But if you go to Philippians 2, it's taking that same thing. And who's okay. it applying to applying it to Jesus? Saying. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's a Christological interpretation of an Old Testament passage. So <clears throat> here's the thing: if if a Hebrew is like watches this, they'll say, "Oh, vocab is doing some seminary games to try to explain away." <laughs> but we have to ask ourselves as Christians: what's the way the biblical writers interpreted the Old Testament? They took it as true, but they also interpreted it Christologically. Meaning, I'll give you an example. Matthew says, the passage in Hosea that says, out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew says that was fulfilled when Jesus came out of Egypt after he was done hiding from Herod. Read Hosea. Wow. Hosea doesn't say this is a prophecy. Hosea is referring to the actual nation of Israel and it's just establishing the history and relationship between Yahweh and his people. And it says, out of Egypt, I have called my son, meaning at one time his people, his son was in Egypt. Okay. That's all Hosea is saying. When you read it in that context, without a Christological interpretation, Matthew though, gives us the full meaning under the inspirational the here. Spirit. says, this was a snapshot of Jesus because out of Egypt, God has called his son Meaning he took a passage that was only applied or only thought of to be applied, not even in a messianic way, even by the ancient rabbis, it was looked to be just about Israel, applies it fully to Jesus. Meaning that's how we have to actually read scripture. That's the model. Hebrews does the same thing. Paul does the same thing. This is how the new Testament constantly looks at the old Testament is in a Christological Christocentric way. So we should do the same thing. So these passages ultimately fulfilled for Christ when Christ's enemies those who oppose him, antichrists, you could say, as First John talks about, bow down to him, which basically means they're bowing down to God because he is Yahweh embodied. It's not about white people licking the boots of some cultist out on a major American city. Now, let's say no one buys any of that. Okay, don't buy any of that. Show me one place in the Bible where any Israelite, Ever instructed a gentile to lick their feet, or show me one place in the New Testament where that's part of the practice of the religion, if you want to call that, of the first century church? Show me one place that's there. You're not going to find anything like that. So, um, if even if you don't buy all that and you don't go with all that, okay, you got to justify this practice of making people lick your boots out on the street. You know, you also ask yourself, what does that really accomplish? doesn't accomplish anything. It's not helping nobody. It's not feeding the poor. It's not gaining knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Now, when there are bizarre minds, they think it's a snapshot of the kingdom of things to come. And if you watch a lot of these videos, they'll say something like this a lot of times to the white guy afterwards. They'll say, you know, you assume a righteous person, <clears throat> when uh, God comes back, uh, maybe he'll let me have you as my slave, and I'll treat you fairly. They'll say, they say stuff like that to these guys. They'll say really crazy things like that to these guys because the idea is, oh look, here's a wicked Edomite who can still recognize the men of the Lord, and so because he licked our boot, uh, maybe we'll give him a little, we'll make him a house slave. They'll say they actually say stuff like that, and um, <clears throat> this ain't biblical in any way. <laughs> Where is that in the Bible? You know, boot licking. You don't see it, you don't see it in there.
1: You know, you touched on what one of my last two questions were going to be a little bit. Uh, now, to your understanding, how do they, re- now the, the the New Testament speaks a lot about, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, reconciling <laughs> mankind and atoning for our sins and all that. But it's a lot of scriptures where he talks about unity with all men. You touched on that a little bit, even like Ephesians chapter two, that, seems predominantly about that for instance what's this verse 14 jew and gentile Matthew 2 verse two fourteen for for he talking about jesus is our peace who made both group both groups referring to jews and gentiles one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility you know going down to what's this verse 19 So, then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So, when Paul writes this, when Paul, a Jew, writes this, to your understanding, like, how do they interpret
0: this? Well, is is that not clear? Okay, so if you're dealing with um, a so called moderate, I'll give you a name Israel of God is an example of a group. Who is like a more moderate, <clears throat> kind of more sensible, friendly Hebrew Israelite group? They don't go out on the street and, and talk crazy, and they don't do the whole bowing. You know, lick my feet. They're not into that, right? They're they're pretty cool people if you get to know them and whatever. <clears throat> Israel of God. They'll say, "Hey, this just simply means kind of like what you think it means." That actual Gentiles. Now remember, they think Gentiles are white people, Asians. Arabs, uh, East Indians, you see what I'm saying? That's that's who they think Gentiles means. And they think Israelites are, you know, black folks in the in the Israel of God scheme. They don't have the twelve tribes chart, they just think basically black folks are Judah and Benjamin by and large, and that's all we can determine for the most part. And they'll say that uh hey, Gentiles are these other nations, right? And they'll say it means now you can be grafted in. To Israel, you just have to recognize our place and all that, and they go to these other scriptures to show their sort of primacy still. For example, they don't think that white people or Asians or Arabs can actually teach the Bible to black people. You know what I'm saying? They think it can only be to other people who are non-Israelites. This is what they think. But Israel and God are still cool as far as people, and they say this means actual Gentiles. Now, if you go to the One Westerns, that's the guys out on the street. That's the guy doing the bootlicking stuff. You go to them, they're worse. They say, well, what you got to understand is that there was a lot of Jews living in different lands and who were in their different cultures in this day, and they, were, they would be called Gentiles, but they were actually Israelites ethnically, but they were like asleep. And so here, these Gentiles, it doesn't mean actual Greeks, and Italians and, and Hamites, Africans is what they would call them. Because they, they don't think they're Hamites or Hamitic peoples. They think Africans are. And by the way, most Hebrews like to be, believe Africans will also be in slavery under them because they don't believe they're those of their brothers. They believe they look similar, but they're of a different lineage. They'll say, uh, that's, that doesn't mean those folks. It means Jews or Israelites in a Gentile state of mind. Maybe they don't know Hebrew. Maybe they eat pork. Maybe they dress like Greeks. Maybe they went to the gymnasium and wrestled naked. Maybe they had a Greek wife. Maybe they had a, a you know a name like Alexandria, Alexander, or something like that. They were they were they were Israelites, but they were in a Greek state of mind. And so here, Paul is just simply saying, "Hey, you guys used to be far off from Israel, but now you can come back into the fold." That's that's what they teach. Now here's the thing, though. Let's read Ephesians 2, you brought up. Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember. So that means Paul's talking to Gentiles, everybody. At one time, you Gentiles. So he's talking. That doesn't mean this letter is written only Gentiles. That means right now in this part of the letter, he's talking to Gentiles. He's saying, remember. And here's the funny thing. Paul could have just said, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles called the uncircumcision. He could have said that. But here's the funny thing. It's almost like maybe the Holy Spirit knew one day there'd be Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites come along. And it says, says that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. It literally says in the flesh. Meaning, wow. how in the world could you interpret these as Gentiles in a Hebrew state of mind? When it literally says Gentiles in the flesh. That means these are physical, actual Gentiles. Job is done, wow. And then it even goes further, called the uncircumcision. By what is called the circumcision saying, you guys are not circumcised, you're Gentiles in the flesh, we call you the uncircumcised, which is made in the flesh by hand. So, again, focusing on the physical aspect, talking about the circumcision there. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, why would they be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel? Because they were Gentiles, that's why, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, how could an Israelite who is ethnically an Israelite uh, – like, that'd be a weird way to you know, talk about them. You're a stranger to the covenant prominence. Why would they be uh, having no hope and without God in the world? That is how you talk about a Gentile pagan before they came to Christ. That's not how you talk about an Israelite. But now, so here's the difference. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off had been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what makes the difference? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Who's us? Paul speaks as a Jew. Us both one. One now, we're one body and is broken down in his flesh. So, by what he did in his flesh, he broke down the wall of two separate fleshes and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed and and in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace this is so clear and evident and obvious. But these lights actually take this and they do this crazy stuff and they say, No, these are actually Gentiles who were actually Israelites in a a Gentile state of mind. That's why they're called Gentiles. Now, here's the thing. Other places in the Bible, guess what? Hebrewsites will say, oh, those are actual Gentiles. So how do you know then? How do you know which ones are actual Gentiles, which ones are Israelites in a Gentile state of mind, being called Gentiles? The answer is easy. Whenever it's speaking positively about the Gentiles, it actually is Israelites in a Gentile state of mind. Whenever it's speaking negatively about them, Then basically that means they're actual Gentiles. That's how the Hebrews basically do it. Now they don't say that, but it's basically what they end up doing most of the time.
1: I mean, I I know I know for me, man, when I read Ephesians two, or even just listen to how you broke down those few verses, it's some of the most beautiful thing. I mean, scripture is beautiful in general, especially when you understand, you know, you know, what is actually going on, you know. Right. But but Ephesians 2 is so beautiful. Like, it's beautiful, the work of Christ, what he has done for us all, bro. Like, like, the beauty of it, the the heartwarming of it. I mean, it's, it's just incredible, it's, it's wow. just
0: incredible stuff. You're right. And so, the problem with Hebrew Israelism, one among many, is it destroys the essence and beauty and power and saving efficacy of the gospel mm false gospel that it replaces it with and uh you know we read this and it's like an amazing thing and we we're we're blessed and sometimes i mess with these guys i'll say hey you guys better hope this means gentiles can be saved because you
1: ain't all a, of you, you a
0: <laughs> almost all of you are gentiles regardless <laughs> of what you imagine and so you better hope this means gentiles are saved or else you're on the outside looking in right. see the reason why they apply this this way it's because they think they're the Israelites according to the flesh. Now, here's what's up with that. It's sort of a powerful thing in a way. So if you look back just at American history and you see institution after institution where the powerful elites who almost always certainly were white, right? Not all whites were powerful elites, but certainly the powerful elites of American society have always been for and until barely recently and still a majority – white folks who used racism as part of their way to keep out people who didn't look like them, but especially black folks. Meaning, so if you were Irish, yeah, you got racism in the beginning, but eventually you kind of blended into the rest of the society and you could eventually make it. And next thing you know, JFK is a president, right? But if you were black, you were always black. And it was always a way that you, you were, you, you were like always going to be the lowest. And you, you didn't come over here because of a potato famine. If you're a black American, you came over because someone kidnapped you or something like that a long time ago. The situation is not identical, but what here's what I'm saying is if you've been kept out of every institution, every mainstream thing, whether it's good healthcare, whether it's equal schools, whether it's positions in the military, whether it's uh certain schools that were open or not open to you, whether it's places on, on public transportation, whether it's water fountains that are better or worse, whether it's restaurants, whether you just go down the list and you've been kept out of everything, including the church. You can't sit here. You can't pray there. You can't come on when we go. You can't read the Bible unless one of us is present. You know, this is a slave master talking or whatever. You know, you get that Just historically, all of a sudden, you're an Israelite, you say, and guess what you get to do? Use the power of the Bible, although you're twisting it, obviously, to then keep out everybody who kept you out with the power of the Bible to say, look, I'm just preaching the Bible. Now, guess what? You're actually the outsider, you know, uh, whoever the white powerful person is or whoever the person, they are suddenly kept out of what really matters according to the Bible in this schema. So it's actually quite a powerful thing. And that's why they quote a lot of times a passage that they, they misuse. And again, they like it in the KJV better. When I read it in, in the ESV, they don't like it as much, although the ESV is more accurate, but it's Revelation 13. And it's sort of a key verse for Hebrews likes. Revelation 13, verse 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive... To captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, that is more accurate according to verb tenses in the Greek. But if you look at it in the KJV, it says something closer to this. If anyone has taken captive, he himself will be made captive. If anyone has slain others, he himself will be slain, right? So they use that to say, look, um, white folks took us captive, therefore they'll be taken captive. They killed us, therefore they'll be killed. That they use that as a way to speak of like a role reversal that will happen, which can be a powerful message. It's eventually leveling the power of the Bible, although in a twisted way, for divinely sanctioned vengeance based on race. And so it's actually a powerful thing if you're dissatisfied with society and maybe even dissatisfied with the church's response to racism and all that. Because this whole time we've been talking, and I know we're about to end, A lot of this stuff sounds crazy because it actually is, but you can never underestimate the power of a moral felt need that is unanswered. And so that's the key thing is why did slavery have to happen? Why is this going on? Why are the cops still killing? What is going on? Hebrew Israelism has the answer. Our people haven't kept the laws. Therefore, we've experienced a curse. Wake up, realize who you are. Then you realize your royalty, and here's your future. Now here's the way we're going to build our nation together. And what we're going to do is preach this message to wake more people up to where we get a synthesis. Then what happens is Shai, that's what the one message is called, Jesus, comes back and sets up a kingdom in which we are the rulers. So in the meantime, we've got to get ready for that situation. And that's why, you know, right there in the south-central area of L.A., there's a group called the True israelite nation hebrew congregation something like that but part of the title is true israelite nation notice nation in there. It's saying we're the true israelites we're a nation and so a lot of these guys actually think they're building a distinct nation that's going to happen now they're different than the nation of islam who notice again alternative black religions a lot of times have that concept it's like oh you're going to keep us out of our nation the nation okay we'll we'll do our own nation then nation of islam what does the nation of islam want they want parts of the American, usually the South, to start their own country that will be funded by so-called white America for the first so many years. All you got to do is read a final call. It's right there, right? What do the Hebrewsites want? Same thing, except they think it's going to happen when Yahavishai comes back. So they don't think it's by violent revolution or force. These aren't, you know, a version of the Black Panthers or anything like that. They think it will happen when Jesus comes back. Then he sets up the kingdom for them. And guess what? A lot of them, or maybe we'll say some, I don't, if I say a lot, they're going to trip, think it's going to happen in 2019 because they think the 400 years of slavery prophecy of the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled in 2019 because the beginning of American slavery could hypothetically be recounted to when, Jamestown 1619, when the first slaves came over in Jamestown. So if you start in 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia, then go to 2019, that's 400 years. And if someone doesn't believe me, just Google. Four hundred years, Hebrew Israelites. Boom, 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 boom. Watch all the talks and lectures that come up where these guys are either promoting the doctrine or discussing that doctrine. That idea of 2019 may be it when the change of kingdoms is about to happen, and they'll phrase it like this: "The time of the Gentiles is almost at an end." Wow, wow. So that's what we're dealing with, folks.
1: So, my last question to you, vocab, is: So, let's say you know someone listening, they're listening to our interview and they come across some Hebrew Israelites on the street or they have a classmate or family member or something that loves to start off these conversations or or something like that. What should be the approach in communicating with them about their false doctrine and attempting to preach the gospel? Like, like what, 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 or your recommended steps in that well, conversation? First of all, do
0: not mention my name, first of all.
1: Don't mention vocab alone. Yeah, no seriously. <laughs>
0: do not mention my name at any point in the conversation, number one. Number two, uh, just um, see where the – I would say, you know, follow along and see where they want to take you in the Bible, and then go to those places, and then see if you can get them to stop in those places and go through them. Because usually what they want to do is go to place after place after place. And if you ever witness the Jehovah's Witnesses on a Saturday, it's very similar to dealing with them. They never sit down and say, let's look at all of Galatians 2, right? They go to spot here, spot there, right? We sometimes uh, affectionately call it Hebrew hopscotch. It's a a term I think I coined, Hebrew hopscotch. So that's what they like to do with the Bible. Well, if you can get them to slow down and look at a passage in its whole – that will help, but it's not easy to do. But if you could do that and basically do a little miniature Bible studies on these passages, because hardly any of the passages they go to are going to prove what they're trying to prove. Um, that's one thing is like, say, Hey, let's, let's have a time and do a Bible study upon these places you're going to and really break it down to what it means. Now, if you're going to do that, uh, you do need to be prepared. So the first time you find out what it is, you may have to really do a lot of listening. And, um, I would encourage you, don't think, you know, just because you heard one interview, you know everything about these guys. Feel free to listen. Now, here's the thing, though. If you're only going to see this, whoever you're interacting with, maybe one time, you know, different situations happen in life. I like, you don't know the future, but if you think it's going to be a one-time thing, maybe I would say it's like you deal with it differently than maybe if you have a family member. Because then you can listen, take it in. But like, if I see some guys on the street and I might interact, that might be different. I might not see them again. I want to kind of immediately let the people in public know this is not the gospel. So kind of immediately contradict the big parts of what they're saying, meaning I don't really focus on who the Edomites are or are they really Israelites because those aren't actual gospel issues. Hypothetically, they could or could not be Israelites, and it's not really the gospel. So I try to to go in there if I have an immediate situation now, you all always want to focus on the gospel. But what I mean is get to the gospel issues right away and try to see, and almost always they're going to have some other gospel and um, try to show if you'll kind of one the time, try to show whoever's listening, try to show the Hebrewsites sites that what they're pro preaching and proclaiming and promoting is not the gospel. All you gotta do is go to first Corinthians 15, go to Matthew 28, go to all these places where it's clear the gospel was laid out. Now they laugh. They think John 3:16 is hilarious. They're like, oh, look, another Christian quote in John 3.16. Like, we haven't answered this before. This is easy. I'll let the young guy take it. Hey, uh, young soldier, can you answer this? Because we all know. That. So, but nonetheless, John 3.16, the whole passage of John 3, is an important and relevant passage that does ultimately contradict a lot of what they say. But uh, just be ready, because these guys, all they do every Saturday, if this is on the street, all they do is answer these questions according to their, 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 their doctrine, much like a Jehovah's Witness knocking on your door. So family member. a little bit different, right? but you gotta go to the gospel so if they'd say king james was black i wouldn't get held up in that because whether he was or was not does not determine the eternal state of anyone's salvation or soul right but if a person believes they're saved by works if a person believes that the gospel is is circumcision the gospel you know part of it if they believe that well that goes directly against galatians we got to Stand against those understandings. And the other thing is, who is God? So, who's God? Who's the gospel? The second you mention the Trinity, almost all of them are going to trip. Where's the Trinity in the Bible? Right? You know, that type of thing. Of course, you can ask them, well, where's, um, the, Bible? where's the, Bible in the
1: Bible? Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I just thought. Yeah, d- anytime I hear that, I think, where's the Bible in
0: the Bible? Or, where's the word Hebrew Israelite in the Bible? Because the phrase Hebrew Israelite never appears in the Bible, to my knowledge. The actual phrase, well, we're just Israelites. You know, we're just, just Israelites. Right. But, but, uh, point go into like who is god because a lot of these dudes are henotheists meaning they actually have multiple divine beings that god has created they're sort of not quite angels but almost appear to be demigods some of them believe stuff like that um other ones believe that jesus is a created being in fact almost all of them believe jesus is a created being so he's not fully god he wasn't really there from the beginning hardly any of them believe the holy spirit is a personal being most of them believe he's a force or an it. Some of them even believe he's an angel who shows up as different angels. Maybe someone is Michael, some of them is Gabriel. Other groups believe that the Holy Spirit is actually a code word to say the law. So they have different views, but you'll find out real quick, they don't have biblical understandings of who Jesus is of who the Holy Spirit is. And all you got to do is ask probing questions to find out, and you'll realize like, whoa, they not only have a different gospel, they have a different God. Wow They have a different God. Now if I say different God, I don't mean they think Jesus is black. Because they go to Revelation to show show he was black. They'll say, oh, look, hair white like wool. Who has woolly hair? Notice the trick there. Hair white like wool. Who has woolly hair? Texture, color, two different things. Nonetheless, again, whatever, whatever, right? If you want to believe, the Bible doesn't really say, but okay, whatever, whatever. No, we shouldn't think he looks like a Northern European man, certainly. But that doesn't mean automatically he looks like whoever else they want to portray, right? Nonetheless, not a gospel issue. So when I say different Jesus, I don't mean... White Jesus versus Black Jesus—nothing like that. We mean, who is Jesus actually? Well, if he's a created being, and if he's not introducing a new covenant, because a lot of them had this concept that it was just simply a renewed covenant, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. But uh, you got to focus on who is God. What is the gospel?
1: Man, I promise, I'm trying to get you out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to ask that. I'm not even going to ask that last question,
0: man. Yeah, okay. What'd you say? Yeah, we got to get out of here. Yeah.
1: All right, man, so I appreciate your time. Shouts out to Vocab Malone. You know, where, where can people follow you, man? I'm going to make sure I put your information in the, in the description, but where can people follow you?
0: On Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and even though I don't use it very much, Snapchat, Periscope, and on YouTube, and at Gmail, all those places, at Vocab Malone. So every social media I'm on, you just put the at sign, Vocab Malone, or the slash forward slash. But the main place I'm most active is my YouTube channel, so YouTube.com/slash Malone. I go live usually twice a week. Most times I go live twice a week with live streams and put up a number of videos. They don't all deal with Hebrews lights, but um, they all usually deal with some type of apologetic or urban apologetic issue. And uh, we do some audience interaction as well as post-recorded interviews. But uh, you know the channel's grown a lot and it's got a great community of people who come on a regular basis so good stuff happens so youtube.com slash vocab malone and the name of the live stream show I do is it just changed for 2019 so not many people know this it's called street apologist street apologist name uh, the show which that you can also find on, on social media at street apologist as well for the show specific stuff but that's it nice well
1: you know make sure y'all follow vocab malone make sure y'all get check out this book Barack Obama versus Hebrew Israelites, you know, were introduction to history and beliefs of one West Hebrew Israelism. It's a really, really, really dope book. Make sure y'all subscribe to his channel. You know, he has a lot of really dope information. He has a lot of really dope debates with different types of people. You know, Mocap is a really wise brother. Y'all can learn from him. And yeah, is he a real one? Radio. Is he a real one? Yes, he is. And he is God. Talk about Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hey, hey amen. Yeah, man.